Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Of course, so much to talk about today. Uh, but first, as I often like to do, I want to acknowledge how gloriously beautiful today is. I hope that you had a chance to step outside, take in some sunshine, inhale deeply. I know that we've got some chilly weather around the corner, which is why days like this are so important to just delight in. I, You know what struck me today? Uh, I didn't get to enjoy as much of it as I would have liked to, uh, working and such. But I was thinking, uh, I remember in my 20s, um, it was really like a beautiful day at the end of autumn, and, and I was uh, on the couch watching TV, and I thought, you know, I really should just go outside, because I'm going to miss this. And, and, you know, sometimes it's important to remember that, and I try to remember that all, um, every so often when I'm, uh, you know, riding the couch. And so I was thinking today, I should, you know, I'm not great at keeping a journal every single day, but I think I'm going to start just writing um, on the days that it's sunny and what I did to remind myself that I should be doing something, even if it's a sentence, even if it's just, I walked outside, took a deep breath, looked at the sunset, walked to my car, or walked to wherever I needed to go. (laughs) But I think that's what I'm going to do. I mean, maybe I'll write a book called uh, What I Did on the Sunny Days. Anyway, uh, man, oh man, there's a lot going on. (laughs) We have uh, a lot to talk about today. And first of all, you know what's coming up later in the show. We are going to check in with our friend Dan Schaefer from the Recombobulation area, because while we've gotten through uh, at least the first part of a very important election, we are going to talk to Dan about the most important election going on for people all over the country, because as goes Wisconsin in the Supreme Court race coming up in April, uh, so goes the future of so many people, because uh, they have... Reproductive rights on the line, gerrymandering on the line. It can determine some of our presidential elections. In fact, I think it's crucial in our uh, future presidential elections. So we'll talk to Dan and see how that is shaping up. And then we're going to talk to Dana Rubin. I have to tell you, um, I loved, loved, loved that conversation that Joan was having. I wrote down um, as much as I could. Lessons I learned in chemistry, I believe. I had my husband write it down because I was trying to get ready. But I... I, I don't know how it lands on the ears of men um, because I, I hope it doesn't sound like an attack. She mentioned in that conversation that men sometimes just do this subconsciously. It's part of the culture. And I've been in environments like that. And, and we'll talk a little bit about that later today. But I was out last night. And uh, and I'll talk a little bit more about where I was because uh, I was with a, a woman who had run for office, and uh, we'll talk about uh, some of the candidates in a moment. But uh, a couple guys came up, and they one of them was a comic I've worked with for a very long time, and I just part of it is that I'm exhausted. Yesterday I was exhausted. I had campaigned all day for my friend. Uh, we had been here on the air from five. I was in and out running back and forth to that campaign party. And Lady B Man, you had a marathon of a day. We all should bow and, and thank you so much for uh, just an incredible evening of conversation and updates and keeping people informed. So thank you so much for that. And so you know sometimes when you're exhausted and, uh, and you have what you have left in the tank, right? And this guy came up who had never I just I never had like necessarily negative strong negative emotions I just I had never really felt like he was very congenial with me when we were young comics but a, a year ago we'd been out after a show he'd asked to do a guest set and I had him on on my show and uh at Tata's and then um 
afterwards we went and got beers and I used to be the house MC at Zany's and so that meant like one month I would be at one club in the suburbs and one club uh, downtown and then you know bouncing around with mind you three other guys that were also the house MCs and uh, and and, there were, and I used to get rumblings of like why was I the house MC you know who is she um, gratifying orally let's put it that way uh, there were rumors about because I had big boobs that's why I got more work than other people that I I wasn't good enough to, to be getting that and, and like I had to weather that you I was the only uh, woman who was in the rotation as a house MC and and I had to uh, just put up with it or quit and I decided to stay in that space and hold my ground and I did for many years I was a house MC for eight years as were the other guys some of them longer than that as house MCs and uh, the house you know mass of ceremonies, and, uh, and it helped me build my career and, and gain the confidence to go on and become uh, a headliner later in my career. So I, um, so we're out, and this guy talks about how uh, this is last year. Uh, he goes, uh, yeah, you know, it was it was so hard to get in at Zany's, and you know, look, you know, Patty's cute and all, but we haven't we had enough? And I, I don't know why he thought telling me that was going to somehow great like. It, it, and and I and I don't remember if I said to him, "Are you saying the same thing about Doby Maxwell and Vince Moranto and John DeCause?" Because I didn't hear you say that. And so this guy came up, and I just I have I haven't uh, just I just haven't connected uh, lately with him. And I, I you know Declan was in the hospital for many months, and I've had a lot going on. My best friend passed away, and I happened to be in the bar that I spent many wonderful evenings with my best friend Tom Carmick. And uh, and this guy came up, and you know we just lost a race in this neighborhood. Uh, still a long day of work, and I I didn't have it in me, Lady B. I did not have it in me to fake nice through it. I didn't. I couldn't smile. I couldn't. I tried nodding. I and, and he wasn't taking the hint. And finally, I just. I had to walk away. And his friend uh, came to talk to me for a minute. And I told him, I'm like, I can't. I can't. Just here's why I can't talk to your friend. Um, and I, it, it, you know, and I'm. I think I'm going to reach out to him and uh, and say, hey, look, can we have a conversation? I'm going to tell you what happened, and let's chip, let the chips fall where they may, because I don't know if his friend explained to him why I was just not interested in a conversation, but it is that compounded stress of years and years of why uh, a woman gets something that someone else thinks they deserve uh, that I have had to, uh, it's just, I'm tired, you guys. I'm too old to put up with, I feel like Danny Glover and Lethal I'm too old for this. Um, but I will keep showing up, and uh, I just—I now don't feel as though I have to fake nice my way through things and be the congenial girl and make everybody happy. And uh, that's that, so that that conversation that Joan had really struck a nerve with me, and I'm sure some women identified with it. I hope guys. Um, and again, like this guy might not even realize that that passive aggressive, diminishing, demeaning uh, tone that he had and the way he treated me. So, guys, um, I hope that when we have these conversations, you're not def- like I don't behave that way or whatever. If we're not talking about you, we're not. But we also need you to be better allies. Uh, and and uh, if you see it, um, you know, I was talking about this about Dan Richmond yesterday. Dan Richmond, who was running for the police board of the 19th uh, district, uh, he was the only person who didn't try to gaslight me when I talked about the fact that I had reported sexual harassment and abuse at WGN Radio. He didn't make it sound like I've had people say, oh, come on, that's just how he is. And, you know, Jimmy DeCastro, like, he's a, he's a big, good time guy and all this stuff. And and uh, and Dan Richmond was the only one that didn't make me feel like I was crazy. And uh, And we need more of that. We need more 
more support. We need people, more people that listen, guys. Um, that just and you know, again, this is for anything. Any anytime someone shares their trauma, who feels feels vulnerable vulnerable enough to trust you with their trauma, please do me a favor too. This comes up a lot. Just say I'm so sorry that happened to you. Uh, I'm I'm here if you need anything. How can I help? And and if it's somebody that they're telling you traumatize them, don't say, oh, but they were nice to me or they're my friend or, you know, I'm sure there are two sides of the story. If there are, you can keep that part inside your head. That's not for the person who is telling you and sharing their trauma with you, their pain with you. Be in that in that moment and just be there for that person. And if you can't be there for that person, you know, just say, I'm so sorry and find a way out of that conversation, whatever it is. Um, so just wanted to uh, say that uh, I have uh, I, I before we start taking. Making phone calls. Uh, so, what was coming up on the rest of the show? I was telling you we we're going to continue the conversation about the first day of women's history. We are going to talk to Dana Rubin about speaking while female. Uh, it's something that she's written, and we look forward to that conversation coming up at six thirty. Again, Dan Schaefer from the Recombobulation area at five thirty. And what a night of returns of uh, results! I, I know that we're already talking about how this this race is shaping up. I, I think that I, I reached out to my good friend Jason DeSanto, who's a professor at. At Northwestern University. I'm hoping to get him on sometime because he laid out, you know, someone last night made the statement that now it's cops against teachers. And I think that's just such a um, bare bones, one dimension, dimensional way of talking about this. And uh, I think it, it's and while it seems to, you know, connotate that that element of those elements of it, I think that investing in people, justice and equality versus law and order or public safety. So I think that that's perhaps a better way. And we'll figure out that language um, because I think the cops against teachers, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with that. Um, so that's what uh, that's the uh, conversation that I think we should be having. Uh, I heard, I also listened to the conversation about the uh, 45th Ward results and uh, we'll continue to, I, I don't know. I mean, I know that uh, I know where my heart is with my community and how stressed we are feeling uh, as though we might be retaliated against in any situation where we we uh, voice our opinions that are in contrast to our aldermen, uh, and that's not—it's not, it's not uh, a healthy place to be. And we do need change here, so uh, that's uh, something we'll continue to talk about as well. Let me take a break here. Calls are coming in. So again, I, it was such an honor last night to be here with Santita Jackson, with Jonas Bezito, with Lady B, Matt Cummings, Andy doing a lot of the work, Tim and Antonio and uh, Matt. I said Matt already because Matt was. There were times when Matt was like running around trying to figure out. What, what, what sound was going to come from where and making sure this all went smoothly. So thank you all uh, for, for really um, helping us all shine. And listeners, you guys were amazing, too. The phone calls, the texts. Uh, thank you for that. Our guests uh, checking in with people all over the city. It was an energetic and dynamic evening. And uh, I look forward to August. To August? <laughs> I wish it was in August. A little bit too far away. April. April 4th for the, the uh, runoff election. So let's take a break here and take your calls. 773-763-9278. That's the number to call or text us. Thank you so much for hanging out at Heartland Signal. Because facts matter. You are listening to WCPT 820. Patty Vasquez is taking your calls now at 773-763-9278. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez now on WCPT 820. So how are you guys feeling this uh, post-election glow of uh, 
uh, of 2023. Uh, I'm sure many of you by now know that Superintendent Brown of the Chicago Police Department has resigned. His last day will be on March 16th. He has taken on a new position in Dallas, uh, heading up security. And uh, and we wish him the best. I, he was every both candidates that are uh, now on the runoff have both said that they would fire him on day one. So why wait around? And let's uh, he's packing it up and heading out. Someone uh, was it, someone messaged me. I think it was our good friend Jerry said it's the only way he was going to get a police escort out of town. <laughs> let's see what's um, on your mind, Jim. What's what are you thinking today? Hi, Patty. I'm just thinking about through my history through walking around this earth for seventy two years. 73 on March 12th, if I lived that long. Uh, patriarchal societies, different ethnic groups that I've experienced, always put an emphasis on their sons. Uh, uh, they they got them educated, and the girls were going to get married, and uh, that, they lived like that for centuries. Uh, now, the Irish, on the other hand, are a matriarchal society. When, when the Irish talk about Mother Ireland and... Uh, uh, the 50-pound note is an Irish woman from Chicago, and the 50-pound note there for God knows, I don't know, 100 years. But my mother was a widow with three little kids. Uh, my mother was pregnant when my father died, and uh, she, I noticed, I watched her go through a series of jobs and and how difficult it was that, uh, you know, she had to be up to snuff every day and... Uh, you know how difficult it was from uh, being a male and a female in the United States of America, but uh, I think that uh, uh, I hope the guy would turn the corner on that because it's so silly, you know. And everybody's got to, uh, you know, we all suffer the same fate. Anyway, Patty, thanks for taking my call, sir. Thank you. I appreciate it, Jim. Thank you. I it's uh it's not it's uh not a. Uh, and it's you know the way I was I was look my dad, uh, who was a, a ball player and a you know loved John Wayne movies and uh, you know was, you know smoked hard and drank hard and you know was a guy's guy kind of a, a fella. Um, he never made me feel as though I couldn't do whatever I wanted. It wasn't like why do you want to play baseball? You're just a girl. He did say uh, when I was about nine, I asked him why he never taught me because all my friends were starting to my my guy friends were starting to play baseball and I wanted to play and but I didn't know how. I was catching line line drives with my my mitt upside down. You take one to the chin, you learn really fast not to do that again. But uh, but. I, I came from a, um, you know, a, 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 they had a head start. I was trying to catch up when I was nine and trying to learn how to play. And I asked him why he never taught me how to play sooner. And he goes, ah, you, you know, you were playing with your dolls. I didn't know if, I didn't know if you wanted to. Um, you know, so it, it wasn't his assumption that he would throw the ball around with me. Whereas my, my brother, Mike, uh, had, you know, from what I understand, was a great baseball player and played sports um, from a young age. So, uh, you know, but my dad adjusted and he came to my game. So did my mom. My mom, uh, man, she taught me how to put a game face on. She said she told me that I would go up to the bat and, and look kind of shy and timid. She's like, do you go up there and you look like, oh, please don't don't throw the ball at me. She goes, go up there and make 
make them afraid of you. And I used to go up and I would spit. <laughs> I don't know if it looked tough, but I watched, you know, Major League Baseball and I I'd ta- I would tap the bottoms of my spikes and, you know, tap the, I, all these moves I thought were making me look tough. I probably looked kind of crazy, but <laughs> that's, but she always uh, uh, encouraged me to uh, to occupy the space that uh, boys not might not want me in. When I was in Little League, um, I, I got there late for practice one time and the boys took off their mitts and started ca- throwing with their catching hands, you know, because obviously it's harder to throw that way. And they go, look, Patty, now we can throw like you. Uh, and again, like stand-up comedy, I, uh, I, 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 I stayed there. Uh, um, and, and it was stressful. Like, I remember getting up on, the, on game days and my stomach all just tied up in knots because I was afraid that uh, I would mess up. And if I did mess up, it was because they, they would make fun of me because I was a girl and you know, you never want to be the kid that's, you know, up at bat two two outs out of the game. Uh, it was it, the pressure always felt just so intense. Uh, there was one boy on my team who, uh, when I, I missed a ball, he he yelled at me. He goes, "Run faster next time!" And I came into the dugout when we came in, and uh, maybe I shouldn't tell you this, but I just slapped him. We were like 11 years old, and I said, I've never heard you yell at the boys like that. Don't yell at me like that. And uh, <laughs> so um, But that's, you know, when you're a kid, obviously, as an adult, you try to find your ways to uh, remain in, in spaces uh, that are uh, toxic. And that's what it was like in my last job. Uh, you know, guys who felt like they should be the ones on the air who uh, would say things like, um, I remember there was a, a journalist uh, that uh, from the AV Club, John Tatey, came in. He was the editor. And uh, he used to write like seven to nine articles a week. And the producer, Keith, had just put like a couple of the articles in front of me. I usually put them all out there. And I, I said, oh, John, you had a busy week. I, you didn't have a chance to write more articles. And he goes, no, I wrote like seven. And Keith said, uh, these are the ones I thought you'd understand. That was, I mean, like these are the things that <laughs> And that's that's not even including the ageist things that he would say. Oh my God! Anyway, uh, what I'm saying is Jonas Bazito's conversation uh, really kind of uh, uh, hit a lot of nerve uh, nerves for me. Uh, so, Dave, I've been tra- I was trying to watch some of the news about Ukraine. Uh, what do you call it in regards to the? I know there's a battle going on, and they're worried about losing uh, some ground there. One of the cities is is possibly it, it, vulnerable, isn't it, to lose the Russia? Sorry, you might share with um, your your friend there from Discombobulated, where this uh, young Army, U.S. Army veteran, he had done his time, you know, with our, and he went to fight with that International Legion of the Defense of the Ukraine, this young man by the name of Andrew Peters. And he said he got killed at an unspecified location. His father, John Peters, I told WPR, Wisconsin Public Radio, and um, he had been in the infantry when he was... Um, with our army in that, but he he felt you know his time of service was not over, and that um, this young man was proficient in several languages, including Russian and Ukrainian, and and he was always he's extremely close to his fellow soldiers and well liked by everyone. Mm-hmm. And we've um, he's uh, the seventh veteran that to have died fighting in Ukraine now in from the, according to the State Department. 
you here, know, in this past year. Here I have the story. Andrew Peters, an American Army veteran from Marshfield, Wisconsin, died less than two weeks ago on February 16th while fighting for Ukraine. His father told CNN that his son was warned by Ukrainian commanders before he joined the International Legion of Defense that Russia's invasion resembled World War One or World War Two. We did our research. We did our homework looking up the Legion. Even the commanders over there didn't pull any punches. They said, this is dangerous. This is not like Afghanistan. This is not like Iraq. This is knockdown, drag out, gutter fighting. Uh, there were a number of guys who left after hearing that, but Andrew was like, nope, I'm going to stick this out. I'm going to finish this. He was like any other average 28-year-old American with a very strong sense of what was right and wrong. I still remember one of the times he called. Uh, he said, Dad, you cannot imagine the amount of destruction and suffering that's going on over here. What you see on TV does not do it justice. Yeah. I just thought that, you know, maybe share that with you because when you speak with your, your friend from Wisconsin, you know, mm-hmm. But uh, I remember when they first started that they wanted, you know, veterans that had been, you know, pretty much like at Afghanistan or Iraq, somebody that had seen war. They didn't want some of these, these, uh, you know, I don't know what you could call them, uh, adrenaline junkies and that, you know, thinking it's like a video game or something, you know, that they wanted people yeah. that had, right. had experience from it and that, so... Yeah, thank you for thank you for sharing. Yeah, I wouldn't. It might not have come up on my on my radar. I appreciate it, Dave. Yeah, thank you. Hey, Patty. Uh, Okay. Talking on the baseball. Did you do like uh, 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 what's her face singing the national anthem? Like no, thanks, Dave. No, thanks, Dave. I'll talk to you later. (laughs) No, it's different. Okay, if you're gonna call with a topic, Dave, stay on the. <laughs> did I grab my crotch and spit? Was what Dave wanted me to, to say that I did? No, I I, I get I, I gave you the whole picture, uh, the Roseanne thing. I, I, we can have a conversation about that. I've actually read the book. I'm not a fan of Roseanne's now, but what she did in comedy at the time was significant. And she's written about how uh, she thought it was going to be funny. Uh, she didn't know what to expect. Dave, stay on topic. Pick one. Pick a lane. Uh, this is from. <laughs> I mean. Um, <laughs> okay, from the 312. So I was talking earlier about uh, we need more allies. And, and, and uh, I, I hope that um, men don't feel attacked. So I'm not sure. So, so, you're, so someone is sharing their trauma with us as well here from the 312. As a white man, I am frustrated with the assumption that all of us are rich and powerful. I've struggled my whole life to survive financially. And at the same time, I realize that in our culture, white men do have advantages. But I don't want advantages. I want to befriend my neighbors regardless of race or gender. I wish everyone, regardless of race or gender, could give others a chance in conversation. We can and need to learn from each other. We need each other to survive before, now, and in the future. Thank you, 312. And I'm sorry that you go through that with uh, with people making assumptions about you. Let me take a quick break here, and we're going to check in with Dan Schaefer from the Recombobulation area to talk about their important race and see if he's uh, what his thoughts are on the results of our mayoral campaigns. Uh, it's, uh, it's been quite doozy, and uh, I, just, I have a feeling it's only getting started, folks. More after this on the Heartland Signal. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT Willow Springs, is powered by ComEd. See how ComEd is preparing for a clean energy future at comed.com slash clean energy. WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter. 
Hi, folks. I'm Kirk Bankstead from the Monaco Brewing Company, and I sell Choice Hard Seltzer, an all-natural grapefruit and lime-flavored booze that you can enjoy for only 100 calories a can. A percentage of the proceeds of each can sold goes to reproductive rights groups in the Chicagoland area. Enjoy a light, refreshing hard seltzer and support reproductive freedom at the same time. Now available at Provisions Uptown Chicago and R&J Wine and Spirits in Glenview, as well as Eastside Cafe, Coffee and Wine Bar in East Dundee, where Kate is serving up smiles and drink responsibly. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. Oh, man. I was trying to take a sip of water. You ever have it go down the wrong way? You're like, oh, this is not going to go well. What a bad time for that to happen. <laughs> Joining us on the air is Dan Schaefer from the Recombobulation area. Uh, Dan, how, what did you think of our um, our mayoral results? Did you, are you guys watching that at all? Pretty interesting stuff. Pretty interesting stuff from that uh, mayoral election you had yesterday in Chicago. Uh, seems like you're going to have quite a contrast between the two candidates. I mean, I think that's kind of uh, at least uh, we can take away from this is uh, it was significant. And it, look, Vallis, I think, outperformed what people expected. And he also elevated a lot of aldermanic races where we had more conservative uh, voters. So that was interesting to watch as well. So uh, I did want to talk to you again about your very important race. Ours is important, but I think nationally yours is the most important race going on in the country. So uh, tell us a little bit of a, I saw a great video. Uh, I'm not going to be I, I don't. I don't practice her name enough. Protosewitz. Is that yeah, right? Got it. Woohoo! I saw her doing a video out in the snow, like in her sweater. Uh, she's trying to, she's mixing it up, trying to find different ways to get people energized, isn't she? Yeah, she was campaigning around the state, and I think, uh, you know, I think one of the things that we saw from from the primary last week that I think is pretty interesting about her campaign is is it did have some real statewide reach to it. I think typically, you know, especially in more recent election cycles that we've seen uh, the uh, Democratic candidates have performed very well in Dane County, where uh, Madison and in Milwaukee County. Uh, but, you know, sometimes there's been struggles in other parts of the state. But I think what we saw in the primary last week is, is that Protestate Witch did really well in certain parts of the state that are kind of those uh, swing areas, those those Obama-Trump counties that we heard so much about uh, for years. And, and she, you know, was pulling some really high numbers in the primary there. So I think, you know, kind of continuing on that momentum of having some statewide reach, uh, she was campaigning around the state. And, you know, of course, the, the weather in Wisconsin was terrible for much of last week. <laughs> you know. I hope it's sunny and beautiful like it is in Chicago today. We've got about 50, like, kids are out playing basketball in their shorts today. I mean, come on. It's great. It's not too bad. It's pretty nice here in Milwaukee today, too. I love it. I love it. Uh, so with with her campaign, uh, you know, uh, there obviously there's a lot of grassroots efforts. A lot, uh, does, it, does it seem like there's a lot of energy building for her, young people coming out? Because we, we struggled. That's one of the demographics we struggled with in the mayoral race in Chicago was young voter, voters did not show up. What's I mean, I think in the last in the primary they did, right? Yeah, I think we saw some of that, you know, and I think, um, you know, part of it is, you know, any kind of turnout uh, really comes back. The high turnout numbers, things like that, comes back to Dane County, comes back to Madison. 
Uh, I think there was some some good turnout numbers, you know, on campus there, things like that. Um, and and so that's you know that's going to be definitely something to watch. But I think you know this being not your typical time of year for uh, for a statewide race, you know, you, you, we still really got to get the word out uh, about the importance of this race and how much how many issues it really. Uh, is going to speak to because look, this is this is a ten-year term. This is a, a justice who's going to be sitting on the state supreme court until 2033. That's a long time. That's a lot of different rulings that could come across that that bench uh, over the next ten years. So we really got to be talking to people about uh, just how important it is. Well, and and to that point, it's a ten-year term with important decisions that can last for centuries because we're, we are one of the things in balance, right? And hanging in the balance is a, access to, pardon me, it's still this water, access to abortion that could go back to pre-Civil War times, right? Yeah, that's the that's the law that kicked in in Wisconsin after uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned, the 1849 law uh, banning abortion in the state. You know, and I and I think. Um you know that 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 went into effect uh, last year. There has been you know all sorts of different uh, different challenges to that ruling. Trying to figure out kind of what exactly uh, the, the laws that should be on the books should be. I think a lot of the case that uh, Democratic Attorney General Josh Call is trying to make is that you know the state had passed a number of laws uh, governing abortion since that uh, since that 1849 law. So those should be the laws that should be on the books. Uh, instead of the, uh, you know, almost total ban uh, that has really unclear uh, r- rules for, for, you know, ways to protect the life of the mother. Um, and so I think, you know, be- because of that rule being in place, because of all this uncertainty, we've, you know, had a lot of, a lot of people in Wisconsin going across the border in Illinois right. uh, to, to get the health care coverage that they, they, <laughs> that they had in this state up until a year ago. I, uh, it's, it's going to be a wild ride. And I, and I say that because I was just trying to find a post. We had obviously shared information about you coming on the show and our uh, social media uh, manager, uh, Jerry was, does some hashtags and, and uh, we are obviously uh, doing everything we can from this distance and hopefully more aggressively. So to, to help out uh, fibs for Wisconsin, um, fibs for, for, for <laughs> um, we, uh, we got a troll uh, who was like, well, you know, why did she let this guy, why didn't she put this guy in jail and all that stuff? So clearly someone who is searching for the topic and trying to dip in and, and spread some crazy and things like that. What kind of crazy things are you see, seeing being flung at her? Yeah, so I think, you know, I, I, I think this was kind of what a lot of people were expecting was going to happen with this race. You know, Protosewis has a very long record as a uh, as a judge in Milwaukee County, uh, as a prosecutor. Uh, and so, you know, you look at any any ruling you could kind of pluck out of the air and, and trying to try to find a problem with that. You know, we saw that a lot of that type of thing uh, last fall in the uh, in the midterm elections where they're going after, uh, you know, certain decisions at the parole board trying to go after Governor Evers. I don't know if these, you know, kind of specific case uh, attack ads are, are really going to land the way that they might think. I think, you know, people people are interested in, you know, the big picture of this. I think people understand that, you know, just because one ruling in a 25-year career uh, may have gone the wrong way, it, it, it doesn't necessarily uh, speak to, you know, the, the type of judge somebody would be on the Wisconsin Supreme Court. So I think we're going to see a lot of that type of mudslinging. Uh, over over the next few months, but I think you know one thing that you know just tracking some of the spending numbers, uh, you know Janet Price say which is, is 
outspending Kelly, uh, Daniel Kelly, the conservative candidate, pretty significantly in the early going here. I think people, uh, you know, are, are trying to learn some lessons from from last year in the state where following the Democratic primary for U.S. Senate, where Mandela Bar- when Mandela Barnes won, you know, he was significantly outspent in that August and September stretch. Uh, and, you know, that kind of reversed some uh, uh, some of the trends, you know, for uh, in favor of Ron Johnson. Uh, to in the stretch run there. So I think that, you know, people are trying to learn on the left, are trying to learn their lessons from that and really get out and spend and really be aggressive uh, in the race and the early going. And so I think, you know, and the thing about Daniel Kelly, uh, the candidate that uh, that won the primary for the conservatives, is there there is a whole lot. <laughs> yeah, I'm, re- I'm reading. Your, I've read your piece about uh, how dangerous it is a democracy, not just in Wisconsin, but obviously for the, for everyone, really. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, that's it. so. I wrote a piece uh, that was just published a little while ago at Heartland Signal, uh, where I wrote about the threats to democracy that Dan Kelly w- would bring. You know, this is a this is a far right justice. After, you know, what he he was on the court uh, from 2016 to 2020, lost that race in 2020. Uh, trying, trying for the first time when he tried to uh, tr- tried to get a full ten year term, but you know, in the time since, and in, in after 2020, uh, you know, he was he's definitely been aligned with the election truthers in the states, and he was, you know, he was a uh, a featured speaker on this quote unquote election integrity roundtable uh, that tour that uh, around the state that Republican Party uh, was promoting last year. This was, you know, just alongside. Uh, other far right fringe election deniers, uh, you know, he and, and Kelly himself, there was a kind of a, a big news bombshell report from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel a couple of weeks ago that showed that Kelly was one of the lawyers that was instructing uh, the group that was designing the fake electors plot uh, right before January 6th. So Kelly was the special counsel lawyer uh, for the Republicans trying to, uh, trying to get those fake electors passed on. So this, this guy is a real threat to democracy. You know, you think about the type of races that Wisconsin has uh, four of the last six presidential races in Wisconsin have been decided by less than 1%. And so I think, you know, and whoever uh, wins this next term will be, uh, State Supreme Court Justice for for three presidential elections. You know, ten ten year term is a long time, and so I think you know it's just ridiculous to think you want to put somebody on the court that would you know jeopardize the results of a Democratic election in Wisconsin. And I think it's it's uh, you know I think people really need to understand the type of type of risk uh, that Dan Kelly would, would bring to the court and would bring to, you know, legitimate elections would bring to democracy in Wisconsin. I think it really, uh, you know, in this in that instance of uh, Wisconsin almost uh, having those fake electors, I, I thank God for Justice Brian Hagedorn. Is that how you say his name? Yeah, Brian Hagedorn, the one conservative who uh, who sided with the three liberals on the court. He was the swing vote. It, you know, it's just so many of those challenges that the Trump campaign brought were, were just last out of court. And, and, you know, it was a unanimous decision from the U.S. Supreme Court to reject his challenges. Not so in Wisconsin. It was alarmingly close. Like we had a we had a four three ruling uh, where we needed one conservative to side with the three liberals to to make sure the election in the state was not overturned. That just shows the show goes to show how extreme the conservative majority on that Wisconsin Supreme Court is. And, you know, electing Dan Kelly to that, he, he 
could potentially be the most extreme uh, of any of those conservatives on the court. So real, there's real risk to uh, to uh, the potential of electing him uh, at that uh, in August or in uh, in April. See, this is the kind of thing that makes me feel like people get, like conservatives gaslight me. We're not, you know, we talk about the Supreme Court at the federal level and their allegiance to conservative ideology. When we see that in Wisconsin, it very nearly did, and in protecting our fair and free elections, you know, we see the debacle with uh, Fox News and the uh, the lawsuit that they're in the middle of, admitting that they're lying. It, it's like it's right there. They keep saying it over and over again. The only mission they have is to is to you know. Is, is to amplify and then forward the conservative agenda. And it's like, well, how, how are we the crazy ones, Dan? <laughs> it's ridiculous. And I think, you know, the, the ruling from Hagedorn, the one conservative swing vote uh, on that case, one of the things that he wrote I think is really important. He said, and I'll quote here, he said, the relief being sought by the petitioners is the most dramatic invocation of judicial power I have ever seen. Yeah. So, and, that, and that is what three conservative justices voted for uh, in December 2020. And, and, you know, if Daniel Kelly had been on the court at that time, I think we would have been headed for a real constitutional crisis. Yeah. Uh, no doubt about it. It's it's, uh, it's sort of startling to even go back and consider that. But we have to be we have to be diligent and, and involved and focused and make sure that we uh, don't let him get that seat. That's why I want to keep having these conversations. I also am trying to figure out a way to get to Wisconsin and broadcast from there and, and figure out how we can. Uh, you know, I don't know what we can do. Uh, door knock is probably one of the things that we can do. Is it, I know that there are groups in Illinois, and I'll get more information out to folks about how we can get involved. Uh, do you have any uh, any any forums coming up where I, I'm guessing? there's another forum with these candidates as well right yeah i mean there's there's a whole bunch of different things happening uh individually with the candidates i don't know if there will be exactly the type of uh, head-to-head debate or forum or anything like that but you know the attention that this race is going to attract over the next you know we're, we're it's five weeks from yesterday uh we, we have our our election on april 4th the same same day you guys will uh, for your mayoral election in Chicago, uh, so that's going to be that's going to be a big day in the Midwest. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be a lot of people doing a lot of voting, uh, so it's going to be a really important day. Uh, and, and so I think you know one of the strategies that the Wisconsin Democrats have employed uh, in a number of these races, and I, they're certainly looking to do that. And this one is to really get bring nationalize it, really get it national attention. You know that'll bring in that'll bring in money, that'll bring in uh, you know just different people to, to get activated. Uh, by this process, and you know we've got uh, we've got five weeks to, to really have an opportunity to flip this court, uh, bring a real political reset to the state of Wisconsin, and uh, you know really have an opportunity uh, for change. Yeah, no doubt about it. And and I know that uh, uh, folks are going to be all over the country are, are have been writing about this and involved. Is there a sense? I know you talked about how much money that uh, she's raising in comparison to Kelly. Uh, is it a lot of it coming? I mean, are we seeing that that big money coming into his campaign that we were expecting, like the U-Lines and the Koch brothers and things like that? Yeah, we're seeing a lot from the we're seeing a lot from the U-Lines. They're they're part of this group called the Fair Courts America PAC. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they're definitely spending, yeah, <laughs> these names that they come up with. Mm-hmm. Is so ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, they're spending in favor of Kelly. But I think, you know, because of the way that the Democrats and the pro campaign uh, have tried to nationalize this race, you know, they're, they're getting a lot of money from out of state, too. Uh, so but I, I don't know if it's exactly the same type of big gun 
big donor dollars exactly, but but you know, with the attention that they're trying to bring to this, it's it's going to be a lot. And so I think you know, going into the race, they were projecting it to be you know maybe the most expensive uh, state court rate race in American history. I think they've already hit that mark. I think it's already because of all the spending that we saw in the primary, uh, the spending right out of the gate from these candidates over the last week here. I think it's already uh, the most expensive state court race in nation's history, which is Whoa. Yeah, that is wild. Uh, Before we go, a couple more things. Is there anything we should know about going on in uh, in your capital, in Madison? I I saw a tweet about uh, the call for Milwaukee County to impose an additional 1% sales tax. Is that something that GOP, are they really, is that from the GOP? Is that a suggestion from them? Yeah, so this this is this has been a part of uh, a, this is actually something I've been covering a lot at the for years at the recombobulation area. Uh, Milwaukee has a unique situation where it does not it is not allowed uh, to raise its own sales tax, and be, and the state uh, continues to cut uh, the amount of shared revenue. Uh, that comes to the city and to the county. So Milwaukee has been saying, "Hey, let let us, you know, let us make our own decision here. If we want to raise, uh, you know, one percent local sales tax to to fund county services, um, you know, you should give us the option to do that." And Republicans controlling the legislature have repeatedly, over and over and over again, denied Milwaukee the opportunity to do that, which is uh, which is frustrating. Yeah, I would I would imagine that it's frustrating. Anything that was going on in Madison that's caught your attention? Yeah, you know, I think we're. You know, I think basically, uh, you know, what we're seeing in Madison is that uh, you know that that the the state Republican Party they're they're trying to you know keep everything quiet uh, over the next month while this uh, wow. while this state Supreme Court race mm-hmm. goes on. They're trying not to do anything that would be potentially controversial. They're not taking really any votes, uh, not holding a lot of hearings on certain things. They're trying to keep things very, very quiet in Madison so they don't stir up uh, don't stir up the crazies <laughs> that they have uh, in the Republican caucus uh, at the Capitol. Uh, so I think I would expect them to be try, try their best, at least, uh, to be on the quieter side uh, for these next five weeks before the election, um, you know, especially on, on some of those key issues that would uh, – that would be part of this campaign, voting rights, reproductive rights, on down the line. I uh, So they're still not going to do anything about that massive surplus that they're sitting on. I still can't believe you guys have. Yeah, and, well, and the thing is, Wisconsin has this $7 billion surplus. Minnesota has a $17 billion surplus. So, oh uh, <laughs> what is that? Right. Uh, you know, people are talking about like, oh, well, you know, uh, there was a number of conservatives in the state saying, well, that, that Scott Walker is responsible for this for this surplus that the republicans in the legislature are responsible for this surplus well our our neighbor next door very similar size very similar political dynamics probably the most similar state politically to us uh has had democratic leadership and they have a much much larger surplus and and a progressive tax as well (laughs) right Right. and you both have progressive taxes yep both have progressive taxes. For now, uh, you know, Republicans have been trying to advance this flat tax. I think they're already kind of starting to back away from it because they realize how unpopular it is, how unrealistic it is. One last thing: a listener called in to, to see if, to ask if you had heard about the the uh, young man who had been killed in Ukraine, uh, John Peters, who was from Marshfield, Wisconsin. Uh, an amazing story about how he just felt that he needed to serve in uh, Ukraine. 
I have heard about that story. I have not read the full uh, read the full story yeah. yet, so I, I don't want to comment on it, that. Right, one. just just close to home. And uh, listener was just wondering if you were familiar. And I, I always am grateful for your insight on what's going on in Milwaukee and Madison. And uh, man, uh, we yeah. So we're going to keep talking about it, and uh, let's get this across the finish line. All right, Dan. Thirty-four days to go. Thirty-four days. Ah, so do we. That's you. That's crazy. Everyone, follow Dan Schaefer on Twitter. Follow, uh, subscribe to his uh, his Substack. It's a recomb- it's a Substack or it's just your website. Sub- the uh, Recombobulation Area. Substack. Yep. And you can read my new piece on Heartland Signal today. That's right. Excellent. Thank you so much, Dan. Have a great rest of your week. Thank you so much. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Let's, uh, let's take a break here and come back. If you want to give me a call, 773-763-9278. That's the number to call and join our conversation anytime. 773-763-9278. More after this on the Heartland Signal. This is WCPT 820. Listen in Chicago on 820 AM or stream us live on WCPT820.com. The TuneIn Radio app or tell Alexa or Google to play WCPT. This is WCPT 820 where facts matter. Patty Vasquez is taking your calls now at 773-763-9278. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez now on WCPT 820. Thank you everyone for hanging out with us. I, want to thank, I haven't had a chance to say hi that often to our friends. I try to look up and wave and thank you for the compliments about my hat and shirt. I have a shirt that says, just because you can talk doesn't mean you should. And believe me, I know that sometimes that should apply to me. I'm aware of that. I, I will acknowledge my shortcomings. Uh, occasionally, I talk a little too much. Uh, and so there's that. And I also have my Gale Street Inn hat. Uh, thank you so much to George Carzis and all your continued support, uh, not only for this show, but our community. And uh, it was great to see you last night, my friend. Uh, poor Bridget thinks that it's, uh, I believe it's Bridget that thinks it's uh, Thursday. Uh, let's not rush it. It was a beautiful day. Let Wednesday last as long as it possibly can because we're going to turn a corner uh, not too not, not, not too far away. We're gonna get a little, I hate to tell you guys. Should I, should I not say it's going to, it's going to snow? I, it's it's going to snow soon. Hey, Gregory, how are you doing over there in Rogers Park? Fine. Thank you very much, madam. I'm calling in because when I watched Brandon Johnson's acceptance or victory speech after getting into the runoff last night, I confess I was reading subtitles at the neighborhood bar and I was very alarmed at him kind of starting to go negative on Paul Vallis. And he had a line where he said to me about these are the same people with January 6th. And I would love to be able to get to his campaign chair and to speak to him directly because my gut tells me that he's going to squander all the goodwill coming in here as a preacher's kid and a grandchild of a preacher. And, and he's going to take on too much negative energy trying to vilify Paul uh, Vallis. And he needs to walk a very delicate line of critiquing his tenure without trying to go overly negative against this career, this, this man with this long-standing career that made a lot of decisions that, were, that caused people to be upset. But he had to work with what he had to work with. But then to throw in a line about January 6th type association. Did you hear that line where he came said turning up the January 6th type people backing him? Right. Well, that would be the FOP. Right. There are people with connections to January 6th. But so so not not to not to justify either way. I'm just saying I had not heard that. But 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 Vallis. Yes. Vallis does have uh, some backers who I mean, it, 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 I don't know if it was the time and place. And that's to your point um, that right. it's tainting Vallis and he's going overly negative 
against Paul Vallis. He has to keep a collegial uh, relationship with everybody to bring the city together. He has the chance to start to continue what could be a very brilliant political career, going from Cook County Board uh, Supervisor to Mayor of Chicago, Governor. He's young enough. It, it's like Lori Lightfoot not working with Willie Wilson after he backed her, and then she didn't take his calls or anything. You don't want to start off like that with Paul Vallis well, after I, you maybe you know, win. It's, it's fun. Can you give me a moment? Uh, so it's funny that you say this because I was having a conversation last night. I worked with a, a, a candidate who was very congenial, to your point, or collegial, and ran a positive campaign, ran on her strengths and things like that. And the uh, there were two candidates that went very negative on the, the in, incumbent, and they had stronger numbers. Now, I'm not just... I'm saying sometimes people just decide they pick a tactic and the compare and contrast. And unfortunately, uh, often and I've been in this situation where I ran also against an incumbent. She went negative against me. I only ran on my strengths. She was successful and I was not. So sometimes the results of other elections and you may not like it, it might not feel great and it doesn't appeal to you. And that's a shame. I'm saying it's a shame that we drive some people out of the process. I agree with you. I would wish that we could run on our strengths. That's the kind of campaign I ran and that I believe in. But the results are the results for candidates time and time again, not every single time. But if you've got 34 days for this ramp to the the election on April 4th, maybe you take every chance you can. And that's that's just that's I'm just trying to come at it from that point of view with you. All right. On that good note, I'll take your uh, your counsel and I'll I'll, I'll just uh, tell I just give chip in with my two cents worth. And yeah. Try to no, tell his, his that, campaign chair and him that my gut tells me that it could backfire. It could backfire. And I think and I, I agree. I, again, I agree with that. I think that it's and to your point about, you know, having to bring the city together. That's exactly what uh, the incumbent that I ran against, Lindsay LaPointe, right, who didn't need to go nasty, had tons of money. Um, and chose to. And I'm a leader in my community. I work with a lot of organizations. And because of the trauma, like she went personal, called me a disgusting extremist, weaponized the the the, uh, the trauma of rape survivors, domestic violence survivors, and homicide survivors. I can't, there, I, I don't see, and she's never reached out, never said, you know, that went too far, or hey, you know, it was an ugly race. But, you know, she said in interviews, she felt that she had to do that to, to do the con- compare and control. Now, she was successful, and and that was my problem with her doing that, to your point, is that she encourages and emboldens other people to do the same thing. So what I'm saying is I agree with you. I'm just coming at it from the tactical point of view that time and time again, regardless of party, they decided it's the most successful way to go. So I agree with you that we shouldn't go negative in this in this way. Let other If you want to have your, you know, your, your uh, other people do it for you, independent expenditures, then at least it's not tainted with your hands on it. And, uh, yeah, and then how do you heal? afterwards absolutely so you got me there you got, I, I came around and we agree i'm just i'm just coming oh, from all right. i'm coming from the strategist point of view too because i try to do that once in a while <laughs> all right thank you have a good rest of your evening you, you as well sir thank you i feel very i feel very proper with with gregory have a good night uh, let's take a break here and continue to take your phone calls uh yes so we're now we're getting we're getting texts uh from people who uh yes yeah, so i i do you, do you see where we're both coming from and and also i i, I talked out did both things but uh let's see from the you know what, let's take a break because that's what time it is Light at the end of the tunnel. Light at the end of this tunnel. That light at the end of the tunnel. Your guiding light. That light is going to get brighter and brighter. Through another day. I think it's a great day. The Joan Esposito Show. Live, local, and progressive. Weekday afternoons at 2 on WCPT 820. You're listening to WCPT 820. Because facts matter. 
You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. Oh, boy. Gregory got the text lines and the phone lines to fire up. We were talking about uh, Brandon Johnson coming out swinging last night. And, uh, of course, national news outlets have been uh, picking that up as well, in uh, including like Newsweek. Uh, yeah, it's uh, Wall Street Journal. Uh, yeah. So there's a uh, yeah, folks <laughs> picked up on that as well. I didn't get I was out and about and did not get, we heard some of it here live as we were listening to the returns and checking in with uh, campaign headquarters all over uh, the city. Uh, Brandon Johnson took shots at his challenger, Paul Vallis. Uh, after the two advanced in the Chicago mayoral race, uh, let's see what the um, let's see what the swings were. In addition to what he mentioned, Vallis said, "We will have a safe Chicago. We will make Chicago the safest city in America," which is such a lofty thing to say. Um, I mean, it's funny because it's one of those things where you go, "Huh, that would be n- I'm nice." I mean, I, I, I say I don't. But what's your? Okay. Um, he has won the endorsement of the FOP, uh, including the leader John Cantazera, obviously, who defended the January sixth Capitol attack on the Capitol, uh, saying he understood the frustration felt by supporters of former President Donald Trump. He, the union leader also sparked controversy after equating Lightfoot's vaccination mandate for all. Uh, for all city employees uh, to the Holocaust. So these are some of the things that a one of the biggest backers of Paul Vallis has said. And so I'm just trying I'm trying to work through uh, Brandon's strategy here of going with it right away. So Johnson accused Vallis of being supported by the January 6th insurrectionists and claimed Vallis had stated in the past that he fundamentally opposes abortion and called himself more of a Republican than anything else. The thing about these. So these are things that are lady. (laughs) These are things that are true. So is it and so to what I was talking about with my campaign, uh, none of the things that were being said were true and they were nasty and they were uh, cherry picking things uh, set like basically to to, um, be some sort of uh, fulfilling need of negativity. There wasn't that was all the incumbent had. I mentioned at the beginning of this show that at my former workplace, I reported sexual harassment and abuse in retaliation. A co-worker took out an order of protection. The people on Lindsay LaPointe's campaign helped me with that order of protection, got it dismissed and vacated. You can't find it. The Chicago Tribune, when they were trying to do an article about the sexual harassment at WGN, said they couldn't even find it. So where did it come from? Uh, Either they contacted Michael Heideman or they got it themselves because they had the numbers. One of the guys in the campaign, it was a Cook County Sheriff. He read us the order on the phone. What I'm saying is they cherry, they used that against me, even though they were the ones that helped me. So when I talk about how I wish they hadn't gone negative, I really, because here we are, my open wounds. I, I, and I've asked them, I, I've talked to them. I said, you can fix this. Call me. Let's have a conversation. Let's have a meeting. Speaker Welch, of the House of Representatives of Illinois asked both of them to sit down with me to help me heal. So what, what else? I, so this this is different, Gregory, because they are he is backed by they, these are all provable statements. So that's and that's the text that I'm getting. Uh, folks are saying that. Uh, um, Let's see. Uh, police, uh, Paul Vallis is supported by Trump types. Uh, Val- Vallis is weaponizing crime. Uh, let's see. This one is. Uh, let's see. Oh, thank you very much. Um, 
from the 312. Oh, thank you very much for the 312 for your comments. Let me get to uh, the calls. But these are all things. That there's a there's audio of him having an interview where he said he was more of a Republican, that he didn't think he was going to vote for Democrats anymore. Uh, there is uh, Cantazera. We, we, I just read you what his statements were in regards to January 6th, as well as we know that there are people who are proud boys in the police department, that we have um, folks that were uh, present at January 6th that supported it. So these are I get it, but there are 34 days, and he's doing the compare and contrast on the fly. So I'm all over the place on my opinion on what Gregory said. Uh, so let's see what you guys think. Roosevelt, what's on your mind? Patty, thank you for taking my call. Look, you got to be kidding me about this being soft. He's got to take off the glove and negative, not negativity, but as long as it's true that what Brandon is saying right. about Paul Wallace. It, it's fair. Here's the thing. How come nobody looked at what we had prior to Biden? 30,000 lives. If he did, 99% of the stuff he said against the people that were against him, look at what he tried to do with uh, Jimmy Kimball. Try to get him off the air. That just came out last week. Right. So here's the, so here's the thing. We're in, a, we're in a Trump type of of um, elections, meaning, hey, man, everything goes. As long as it's true, I'll support uh, Brandon. Because look what happened. Trump was totally negative. And Hillary, do you remember what Hillary said about the deplorable? And that enough. I mean, it was all over the media. And how many negative things did Trump say during the, during the election against Hillary? How many did he say about Biden? Biden's son, to this day, he still says stuff about Biden's son. And then, you know what's interesting? I was listening this morning at the beginning of the show, up the dial from you guys. You know which one I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. You, you would have thought, Paul, Bre- I mean, uh, uh, Brandon Johnson, did, that, that Dan Clark, he was saying, uh, uh, you know what they call him, Biden, what they call him? Uh, Brandon, what do they call Biden? The, the right? Yeah, let's go, uh, Brandon. Yeah, that's and he kept on saying that all through his show, referring to our brand, the one that's running against the Paul Bellis, and calling him, way to go, Brandon. He kept on going on and on. But uh, the other uh, knucklehead that's on that show, uh, Amy Jacobson, you would have thought that... Uh, Brandon Johnson said something about Dallas's uh, uh, mother, you know, and they played the audio of Brandon Johnson. Another question that I have about Paul Dallas, why doesn't he last in all these cities? And notice, um, all these cities that he's had a job, they're all urban cities. There's a, a big number of African-Americans, and he doesn't last. Philadelphia, New Orleans. What was the other one? Wasn't there a third one? Well, Chicago, of course. But wasn't there another one out east in New England? I'm pretty sure there was another one. But but he never... Notice how candidates run on their record. How come he doesn't boast about his record? Was was he fired? Did he quit? What's the circumstances? Nobody's ever brought that up. But the number one thing I got against uh, Paul Ballard if he went against our mayor, uh, Lori Lightfoot, when the height of the uh, COVID, he wanted the kids back in school. He wanted to open up the schools. 
And he was coming up with numbers and all these numbers and the numbers say that the mass cause more harm than good, all this stuff. And that's that's my point. But but to the to the thing about Brandon, he's doing the right thing. Nice guys finish last. Look what happened to uh Garcia. He's too nice of a guy. Notice his concession speech, nice guy. When he ran, I was there at your event at eight twenty WCPT. And every time Larry Life was Hit him with a punch. He would never come back with a punch. I'm referring to uh, Chuy Garcia. He never come back. He would just defend himself and say why he did whatever she was accusing him of doing. So the, the, we're in a new world, and the world is, hey, man, it's a doggy dog world, and politics is dirty, but as long as politics, Brandon is playing it clean, and everything that you mentioned, I totally agree. Meaning, he, I heard the audio when he said that he was uh, he does uh, Republican things, and he's he is supported by Canacera. And who's Canacera? Another guy that gave our mayor trouble. Remember that. As a matter of fact, Canacera was going to run for mayor, if I'm not mistaken. Do you yes, remember that? I do remember that. Yes. So, so this thing about being nicey nicey, the heck with that. As long as you're saying and and speaking the truth. Right. Back to the orange one. Look how many times he said real horrible things about the, the candidates he went against. Then that's Biden. It didn't stop him. It, it didn't stop uh, uh, Trump from saying personal things about the man's family. Right. I wonder. And I wonder. Said, I wonder if it seems more negative to people who already like Vallis. Do you know what I'm saying? Or I guess maybe on the fence. Or are lean towards more of his ideology. Perhaps that's why uh, Gregory was uh, concerned. Yeah, but I don't agree with Gregory. And I and you 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 just brought up a, an interesting point. I think and Paul Ballas seems like similar to uh, uh, Chuy Garcia, meaning he doesn't get down and dirty. But at the same token, I don't know what his strategy is going to be. I'm sure they're going to say, "Hey, man, defend yourself, do something." But the, how can you defend yourself if everything is out there? Meaning, you said that you were uh, more Republican. Meaning that you got the support of the fraternal oil police. Who's the fraternal oil police? Canacera. Right. I, you know, I, I, I should take this moment. I've got to take it. I want to let folks know about a breaking story, okay? When, uh, I'll, I'll talk to you again, Thank you. Roosevelt. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. I, uh, I do. I want to thank listeners who've been texting in. Uh, this is um, update, uh, this is a, a news story, breaking news from Channel 5 News. <clears throat> a Chicago police officer was shot to death in Gage Park late Wednesday afternoon, according to Southwest Side Alderman Raymond Lopez. The incident occurred shortly before 5 p.m. in the 5200 block of South Spalding Avenue, officials say. A fe- the female officer w- was uh, sustained gunshot wounds to her face and leg and was rushed to Mount Sinai Hospital in critical condition. The officer... I gotta make a phone call. Uh, the officer succumbed to her injury shortly after her arrival to the hospital, according to 15th Ward Alderman Lopez. Uh, there is currently no further information available. Um, we're gonna take a break here. Seven. Uh, we're right back on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal. Chicago's Progressive Talk WCPT 820, where facts matter. 
Hi, folks. I'm Kirk Bankstead from the Monaco Brewing Company, and I sell Choice Hard Seltzer, an all-natural grapefruit and lime-flavored booze that you can enjoy for only 100 calories a can. A percentage of the proceeds of each can sold goes to reproductive rights groups in the Chicagoland area. Enjoy a light, refreshing hard seltzer and support reproductive freedom at the same time. Now available at provisions Uptown Chicago and R&J Wine and Spirits in Glenview, as well as Eastside Cafe, Coffee and Wine Bar in East Dundee, where Kate is serving up smiles and drink responsibly. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. Just reaching out to some folks that I know in the Chicago Police Department to uh, see if we have any more information. Um, I have uh, fr- um, friends and family who uh, work for the Chicago Police Department, and it uh, doesn't mean that uh, it's any different if I don't know them. Uh, someone who puts on their uniform every single day that goes out and does a job that most of us can't or won't do. And we often have conversations uh, about uh, police reform and all those other things. But in a moment like this, I think we all need to be aware of uh, the, the risks that our officers take, that they put their lives on the line. Again, a Chicago police officer was shot and critically wounded during a a foot chase near 53rd and Spalding in Gage Park, and the police officer has not uh, been able to survive her injuries. Um, so I just uh, just trying to see if there's any other information we can get. Uh, again, a, uh, a police officer has been shot and killed in the line of duty today. Um, let's continue our conversation. Uh, let me see, uh, Steve. What's on your mind, my friend? Uh, what's what are you thinking today? Hey there. Well, I wanted to follow up on your conversation with Greg. Um, Because it seems like in American politics, if you're a white man, you can say anything. But if you're a woman or a candidate of color, boy, you better be on your absolute best behavior and not upset any white people. That's an interesting. uh, See, I hadn't thought of that perspective either. Right. Right. I mean, look, at you know, it was the way we, we, uh, we watched Obama for eight years and everybody, he had to be so careful and so measured because God forbid he should come off as an angry black man. But yet then, then, you know, we've got Trump who's mocking the disabled, who's bragging about sexually assaulting people who admittedly lies has been stolen, has stolen, has scammed people, insulted people, to their faces, called women ugly. I, I just hope that, I hope that every time he did that, Greg was also saying, that's wrong. You should not be doing that. But I honestly suspect he wasn't. Well, and I think, again, to uh, both Roosevelt and I think uh, I think some people would agree that, the, you know, the statements that he made are, are provable. Uh, yeah. Telling the truth, you know, if you feel that telling the truth is negative, then I'm not sure what kind of conversation to have. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And on top of it, you know, who did the who did the FOP invite to the Chicago area last week? And didn't even host him in Chicago because they knew how awful he was. They hosted him out in Elmhurst. Right. Yeah, there was. Uh, they they invited Santos to DeSantis to to speak here, and um, yeah, it's very. It's a. It's all going to be. Uh, it's going to get ugly. There's no doubt about it. it and, is. and I don't it think. Is. And again, he's only got 34 days uh, to to make sure that people know the distinctions. Um, you know, and I was surprised at how many uh, Dems that I know 
that were drawn to valid like like some, someone said a good friend of mine I said you know he's he you know his thoughts on abortion might be contrary to what you might expect and she's like well I'm not I don't want him to be my gynecologist and I'm like well that's not quite <laughs> it's not quite uh, what it would be oh yeah I was like well, that's, that's some I you know I hate to use the word but that's some stupid logic it's 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 interesting uh, logic and I and I hope she's not listening because I love her very much but I I, I you know I. I had the same reaction you did because I was like, oh, um, and I get, I don't know if as a Democrat, maybe some people are like willing to make that trade off of like, well, you know, abortion is legal in Illinois. You know, Chicago is a safe place for, uh, in, you know, because it's in Illinois. Um, maybe for that's, now. yeah, exa- <laughs> well, that's and that's the thing we have to be vigilant about. Right. Is it it is we, we gave up a lot of territory for since the moment Roe v. Wade was decided in, in, uh, in the yeah. 70s. And uh, and we uh, we let them placate us with language of it's a settled law and um, we're not going to do anything to challenge that yeah. and all those things. Right. You've also got to recognize in Chicago, there are a, a number of people, I don't know if it's a lot or what the exact number is, who, if this wasn't Chicago, would identify as Republicans. But because they want power, they identify as Democrats and mostly go along with most of the Democratic agenda. But if you plop them somewhere where, you know, Republican, you could win with, while being called a Republican, that's what they would call themselves. Right. Um, yeah. And so I, I, I think it's interesting. I, I'm, I want to learn more about the history, even though it's weird to have lived through history and go, huh, is that why that happened with the uh, yeah. fallout from the Harold Washington election and why we only we have a nonpartisan election now and yeah. everyone just claims to be a D regardless of whether or not they are. Yeah. Which is interesting, too. I didn't I didn't call in about this last night, but I remember somebody mentioned something about um, how everybody loved Washington. I have a friend who grew up on the Northwest side and she got spit on at a bus stop by a white woman because she was wearing a Harold Washington button. Oh, no doubt about it. One of the worst yeah. things I remember, I remember because I, I had transferred out of a public school because I, I was struggling with the white kids uh, her, bullying me, um, beating yeah. me up because uh, I was the only the only uh, Latina in my class and I transferred to a Lutheran school and like it was one of those moments that like freezes in time. I was only 12 years old and the kids in my class were chanting, Epton, Epton, he's our man because we don't want no African. That was in my classroom oh my when I was, I was in sixth grade. And here's the worst part, right? That's that's the one thing. The teacher stood there and laughed. Yep. Oh. Yeah, that's over here on the northwest side. So, I, You know, I, I, I grew up in New Jersey where that would never have been even permitted. The teacher would have brought, shut that down so no. quickly. no. Everyone thought it was funny. Oh my god! I remember one time, oh you know, you know when kids would do that thing where you cover the, you come up behind them and you go, "Guess who?" Uh, Carrie, yeah. one of my classmates. I put my hands over her eyes. She goes, "Oh, I could tell those Mexican peasant hands anywhere." Oh my god! Mm-hmm. At twelve? Yeah, we were on a field trip. It was probably I was I must have been thirteen at that point. And actually, so when was the election? Eighty four. Because I feel like I was... Yeah, I was, it was my senior year of high school. Yeah, so I was 12, 12, 13. And so, yeah, that was when we were on a field trip to, to Springfield. I was behind her on the bus, and I put my hands and she said that to me. So. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was a character-building place to grow up. Let's let's put it that way. That's, uh, exactly. Yes. Either get tough or die. 
That's uh, that's <laughs> there's only two choices. That's right. Thank you so much. I'm going to update folks on this story that's uh, that we're learning about, Steve. Thank you so much. Uh, again, regardless of any conversations that we have, uh, politics and uh, and the Chicago Police Department comes up all the time. Uh, these are men and women who get up, put on their uniforms, leave their families, and. Um, and it, it it catches them sometimes that they might not come back. Their loved ones uh, never want to get this phone call. Uh, and so we are learning that a police officer has been uh, shot and uh, has not survived the gunshot wounds. Um, the uh, officers were responding to a 911 call, a person calling for help because she was fearing for her life from her boyfriend. And that this resulted in the police officer uh, being shot during a, f- a foot chase. Um, again, uh, this was at 53rd and Spalding in Gage Park. And um, very sad story to, to learn of this today. Uh, my, whenever I hear these stories, because uh, I've known uh, a, a young woman who is a police officer, I've known her since she was born. Um, for me, it's family. Um, but it is so it is every uh, family uh, for us. Uh, we should uh, uh, keep them in our hearts. And uh, we will talk about this um, when we learn more. And thank you to George Bliss, who has uh, sent me an update in uh, in regards to this developing story. Um and that's that's the information that we have uh, at this time. And uh, and again, you know, this is an important part of the conversation. We talk about our safety. Uh, we talk about what the role of our police department is. Uh, and uh, I, I really can't uh, imagine what's going through the minds and hearts of so many people who are either in the Chicago Police Department or love someone who is um, just a very uh, painful evening uh, to learn of this tragedy in Chicago. Uh, we owe them uh, so much. Um, so thank you for uh, for alerting me to the uh, this story right now, everyone. I'm going to take a break right here uh, on WCPT820. When we come back, I am going to change gears. I'm going to have a conversation with uh, with Dana, uh, who is uh, who wants to talk about speaking while female, which we talk about a lot. Dana Rubin will join us in just a few moments on the Heartland Signal. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT Willow Springs, is powered by ComEd. See how ComEd is preparing for a clean energy future at comed.com slash clean energy. Because facts matter. You're listening to WCPT 820. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. We are thrilled to welcome Donna Rubin, who joins us to talk about speaking while female. She's a consultancy uh, with her consultancy is Speech Studio, helping organizations develop their diverse talent and underrepresented voices to become recognized experts, brand ambassadors, rainmakers and role models for others coming up the pipeline. Donna, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm terrific. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, so we, we obviously it's Women's History Month, and we we are trying to elevate and amplify the stories of women and uh, and how we can uh, better speak to that. Tell us a little bit about where the the genesis was for speaking while female. Well, I've been a speech writer and a speech coach, and I also happen to judge speech writing contests, and I'm also a judge for high school forensic debate, so I'm really immersed in the speech world. And I'd say about four or five years ago, I got really annoyed because I started noticing all the people who were quoting Winston Churchill. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. This British statesman. He was a great orator, but I didn't think he deserved all those quotations. And then I started noticing not just Winston Churchill, but Abraham Lincoln and Patrick Henry and Frederick Douglass and JFK and MLK and RLK and Ronald Reagan. And I thought, where are all the women? Yes. And that sent me into a big research project. And it's, I'd say, four or five years on, and I'm still deep, deep in the woods. And so you have a new anthology, uh, Seven, uh, which uh, the women that, that uh, have these historical speeches that we should know more about. Tell So let's go down the list, because I'm not familiar with some of the people that you have on the list. A few I do. Uh, but first, let's start with uh, Clara Shortridge Foltz. Oh, Clara Shortridge Foltz. She was an incredible woman. She was the first she was the first female lawyer on the West Coast. And she was in the criminal courtroom, and she could see, because of her own experience, that the indigent, that the poor defendants accused of crimes were rolled over, steamrolled by the prosecutor. And she said, this is not right. This is not American. In America, the foundation of American law is innocent until proven guilty. So in 1893, she gave a speech, a historic speech, in which she proposed the idea of a federal, of a government-funded system to help the indigent get legal representation. And because of Clara Shortridge Fultz, we have a public defender system. What? That is, that's incredible. I had no idea. See, these are things, you're right, we don't know because of the selective choices that are made in history classes and books, right? Absolutely. And let me just tell you and your guests that before I created this book, I had another, I created another project, which is still ongoing. It is called the speakingwhilefemale.co, speakingwhilefemale.co. And it is now the world's largest online collection of women's speeches. It's a free resource. Anyone can go there. Teachers are using it. Students are using it. Debate and coach and speech students use it. And everybody uses it to fill in the gaps from our history books and our curriculum, our social studies uh, courses, which completely overlook the role that women have played in history by using their voices. Unbelievable. Uh, so when when someone is, is uh, you know, quoting somebody else, I mean, because it is a tool, obviously, in, in speaking. Uh, I gave a speech on uh, Sunday, a keynote address, and because I'm a com- comedian and I, 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 I kind of, I'll be honest with you and you might hate this, but I, I, I threw away my original idea and did it on the fly that afternoon and sort of had bullet points and things like that because I just, I had been watching uh, Iron Man in the background and I decided to have origin stories as sort of my premise and I've been a comedian and people always ask like what what made you a comedian and I use a Robin Williams quote so it was sort of like a because when you evoke the name of someone famous it, it it makes people focus differently doesn't it well first of all I don't hate you for that in fact I applaud you for that I think speakers who speak on the uh, extemporaneously always speak with more authenticity more naturalness so I think that's great but if you quoted Robin Williams, I love Robin Williams. He was a genius, a comedic genius. But I would 
like to see you quote Joan Rivers sometime or some other right comedians. See, see now that to, yes, that's yeah, the, we default to the men. Yes, we do. Uh, the thing is, I knew the quote. It was about uh, the you know the saddest people want to make people laugh because they know what it's like to be to feel worthless and they don't want anyone else to feel that way. Do you know what I mean? So it was. I don't know. It was it, appropriate. Exactly. So, but I will, because of this conversation, strive to find quotes from, from Paula Poundstone or, you know, other, other women in comedy. Unfortunately, to your point, we are marginalized and we're often driven to a specific type of comedy. Um, the women that are, are elevated in our industry tend to be really vulgar or mean. And it's just not the kind of comedy that I do. Do you know what I'm saying? So that's so but it goes back to what you're talking about, like kind of the areas that we are, are sort of driven to. Well, women are placed in boxes, yes, and it's a very narrow area of acceptability. And of course, we find this in every event, in every um, walk of life. I mean, if women are too loud and and assertive, then they're called aggressive and the B word. Of yes. course, if they're too soft, then they're called weak and uh, not powerful and not leaderly. So there's a very, very, very slim margin of acceptability that we can tread over whichever direction we go in. Right. I agree completely. Uh, it is. And that's why it's so important to be talking with you about your work, uh, speaking while, while female. Is that right? I want to make sure I have all the titles right. Speaking while female. Speaking, right. While, speaking while female. 75 extraordinary speeches by American women. American history like you've never heard it before, which can be ordered now. Go to uh, the website. Is it the best place to go? Speakingwhilefemale.co? If you go to speakingwhilefemale.co, you will not only be... Um, blown away by the repository of thousands of speeches there, but you'll see a pop-up. And on the pop-up, the first thing that'll come on the screen will say, click here to buy the book. Excellent. Excellent. So tell me about Anna Julia Cooper. Oh, Anna Julia Cooper. She was a remarkable uh, black American woman who spoke at the World's Congress of uh, Representative Women, also known as the Chicago World's Fair, in 1893. And there were only four black women who were allowed to speak at that fair, despite the enormous presence of black Americans of high achievement and at every at every station of life who could have contributed to that fair and there was a, a big controversy about it as a matter of fact Ida B. Wells was protesting it but Anna Julia Cooper gave a beautiful speech that um, ended with a transcendent vision of all humanity working together to create a better world. It's really, it's one of my favorite speeches. It's just beautiful. If you're going to read no other speech in the book, you must read Anna Julia Cooper's speech. I want I want to read so many of these. I love that you sent me stories that were all Chicago-based and centric, uh, which is really lovely. Uh, we have finally uh, started naming uh, avenues and uh, locations in Chicago after Ida B. Wells. So tell us a little bit about uh, Ida B. Wells for folks who just know the street now and perhaps not the history. Well, Ida B. Wells was a remarkable woman, full of determination and grit and passion. She was a publisher. She was a newspaper publisher, and then she became a crusading journalist. She was in Memphis, and she was essentially run out of town in Memphis. Her life was threatened after there were um, riots in the black community, and one of her very close friends, sadly, was lynched in a just... The most horrible, awful, awful situation. Of course, every lynching is a horrible uh, travesty of humanity, but this was a close friend of hers, 
And uh, she protested, and she left town, and she moved to Chicago. And in Chicago, it became her base of operations. She published with her own money. She published pamphlets. She gave speeches. And basically, her cause became anti-lynching. She was determined to raise Americans' consciousness about this awful uh, mob violence. It's essentially people taking the law into their own hands, people who were bigoted, racist, and would um, murder and torture black people for no other reason than because of racial prejudice. And Ida B. Wells was determined that she would do everything in her power to stop it. It's so again, uh, it's interesting because as you were speaking, I, I, <laughs> because I um, had uh, been trying to figure out a way to talk about Abraham Lincoln when he gave a speech about, you know, this sort of rob, rob, this mob mentality and in this wild, wild west and, and lynching people. So it's good to, to make sure that we are folding in all the uh, the speakers and, and the thinkers of what it means to be an American and how our laws should apply uh, rather than uh, taking it into your own hands. Uh, uh, by the way, my right. husband, my husband just uh, tweeted, just messaged me to remind me that I, I the speech I threw away was uh, a Truman uh, references because it was for the Truman dinner. <laughs> Another man. I know, but the, the dinner is named after Truman for uh, the Kane County Dems. So that was I thought I would be clever and do it that way. Um, but before I go back to some more of the Chicago speeches you sent me, I also was looking at another list um, because I am a huge my husband and I. Uh, one of our first movies we ever saw together was uh, w- called Holiday with Katherine Hepburn and Cary Grant. And I was not aware of her, uh, anything that she had to say in regards to the McCarthy witch hunts. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, right. You know, I'm very proud to say that, I, to my knowledge, this is the first time this speech has ever, ever been published. It's 1947 during the McCarthy Red Scare. And there was Joseph McCarthy, Senator McCarthy, was holding... Uh, and his his uh, his compatriots were accusing uh, the Hollywood, the entertainment industry, the arts, the theater. They were flinging criticisms right and left, accusing people of being either communists or fellow travelers. That was the term they used. And Catherine Hepburn stood up at Gilmore Stadium in 1947. It was actually a rally to support Henry Wallace as presidential candidate, and she was a person of the left, and Henry Wallace was a progressive candidate. But her speech was really not about Wallace as much about the hypocrisy of people in Washington, D.C., who would take innocent names and reputations and professions and destroy them with innuendo. Her speech was so fiery. And if you go on YouTube, you can actually hear pieces of the speech. You can hear two different segments of the speech, but I had to go into some audio files in the archives to find the whole thing and piece it together. And this, this speech was quite controversial. For a while, she was, uh, she was called on the carpet by Louis B. Mayer, and, um, and it was quite, quite a risk that she took because she was going against the powers that be in Washington, D.C., because a lot of careers were ended if they if, if they were suspected of uh, you know of anything to do with these investigations. Absolutely, and one of the things she said that I say in the in the in the introduction to I have an introduction to all seventy five speeches, and she makes a very interesting comment. She said Edward G. Robinson was originally supposed to give this speech, 
But Edward G. Robinson was a Jewish person, and she said, I'll make the speech instead. My family comes from the Mayflower. What can they say about me? Wow. Presumably, because if a Jewish person had stood up and said that, they would have just assumed, because, of course, Jewish people were very often tarred with uh, with being communists and leftists and subversives, un-Americans. So she said, I'll make the speech. They can't touch me. I'm, I'm my family goes back to the Mayflower. I, I do like a, I do like a woman who's like just goes t- she'll torch that bridge if she has to. Right. <laughs> he was he was a, a fireball. She really was. She stood up for her principles. And I have I happen to know someone who knew Catherine Hepburn well. And she told me recently that Catherine Hepburn, that was one of her proudest moments in her life was was giving that speech. So it makes me so happy to know that it's in the collection. That's fantastic. And if we if we are going to so some of these videos you said are also available on YouTube. There are two different segments from that speech. If you go on YouTube, you can hear the audio of Katherine Hepburn giving that speech. You will not find the entire transcript, but you'll find two segments of it, and you can listen to them. Outstanding. I appreciate that. Again, we're talking Donna Rubin, uh, Speaking While Female. Go to speakingwhilefemale.co. And uh, we, we are talking about um, some of her, the this, this speeches she has, uh, these analogy and anthologies, pardon me, that she has brought together f- to share with us so that we have a broader understanding and references when we give these speeches. And, and I will be going, th- I, I will be purchasing this because I have, I, I do a lot of public speaking events. So I look forward to, uh, to enjoying the work that you do and, and hopefully learn anymore because um, I, I really a lot of people are self-taught aren't they they just kind of figure well I'll just make bullet points and and see how I go but I would love to have a little more structure well here's the thing here's what I really believe in my heart that we have a lot of problems in this country I don't care whether you're on the left or the right or the middle we all acknowledge that we have problems of governance we have problems with our environment we have problems in our culture we have all kinds of problems with the, the east and the west and Russia We need our smartest people. We need our best ideas to rise to the top. And we need everybody's voice in the conversation. But still, to this day, women find it harder to stand up with confidence and speak because it's not a level playing field. It is demonstrably harder for the women. We've already talked about that. So if we're going to make this a better world, we have to give women role models. We have to inspire them and encourage them. And I'm talking about not even our generation, but our children and our children's children. So if you're going to buy the book, buy the book for your daughter, buy the book for your grandchild, buy the book for your public life, take it to the public library and say, you got to have this book because we want our young women to be public speakers. Yes. Again, Speaking While Female, seven, 75 Extraordinary Speeches by American Women. Uh, we're speaking to the author, the the, the author and uh, the researcher and on this. Editor. 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 Uh, yes. And Dana, Donna Rubin. Uh, and, I, and I'm fascinated that there are speeches going all the way back to 1637. Can you tell me a little bit about that research and finding that work? Well, it was a lot of what we used to call in the journalism world, we used to call it gumshoe. I mean, like an old detective work, right? You just have to do the research. You just have to start digging and looking and figuring out what, you know, I made a spreadsheet. I made an Excel spreadsheet. Now, the first speech in the collection was given by Anne Hutchinson. And in 1637, she was living on the Shawmut Peninsula, which is now modern-day Boston. It was the Puritan colony, which is essentially a, a, ma- a male uh, 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 patriarchal society, and she did. She had the 
the audacity to be preaching in her own home to men and women, preaching about the Bible. And for that, they held a trial, put her on trial, a heresy trial, and they banished her. And the, the excerpt that I have in the book is from that, her- that heresy trial in which she says, I was called by God to do this work. Wow. So it was a, it's a speech because it was her transcript from the trial. Wow. Amazing, amazing stories. And I'm so grateful for you uh, having done this work and doing the gumshoeing uh, and, and doing this collaboration. So people do have this resource uh, and we are uncovering the history of women that uh, for so long uh, we not just ignored, but shoved to the side. Uh, and, and what would you say? I mean, it's so I, I think about this uh, quite often, just sort of this this group mentality of women are just less. I, you know, whether it's through religion, uh, cultural decisions, uh, wanting to have power, testosterone. I don't know. I mean, like in the in the aggregate, it's a little overwhelming, isn't it? It is. And if you start looking at history, and I've really had my nose in history in the last, uh, you know, last five years. You can trace this idea that women are subordinate, are lesser than men. You can trace it back to, of course, to to biblical times. You can trace it back to the ancient world, ancient Greece and ancient Rome. It's very deep in our culture. And it's had all kinds of different uh, permutations. It has different uh, costumes, different, you know, came in different guises. But in the, for example, in the... um, early 1800s and throughout part of the early part of the 19th century, they had this idea that there was a man's sphere and a woman's sphere. And the man's sphere was a public sphere. The men were the politicians. They were the military leaders. And women were in the home. Women were taking care of the, their husbands and taking care of their children. Now, you and I know there's nothing wrong with taking care of your husband and your children. It's that when women were confined to that space and not allowed in other spaces, that's when they were really being punished for this mythical idea that they were subordinate and submissive. Yeah. It is. Uh, it's. It is. It's remarkable. But right now, by the way, I just subscribed to your channel on YouTube. Um, <laughs> just speaking. Speaking of, I mean, what and what a great day. What a great way to uh, to kick off uh, Women's History Month. Uh, and, but you know, it, it is interesting as well. We're we're seeing efforts in other parts of the country to control what people learn by about race, right? And so, I remember. So my minor in college was women's history and I did a lot of uh, you know medieval uh, you know studied convents and things like that and, and women who uh, saw the uh, stigmata things like that uh, is what I'm trying to remember from 30 years ago um, but you know and people would make Catherine. fun of what was that Catherine Catherine, yes, yes, yes. Catherine was one of them, yeah. Yes. Uh, but I remember people making fun of me, and I had one friend who was also a history major, and he said, look, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're not a white, powerful male, your, your role in history doesn't matter. I mean, like, just flat out said it. And, and we have these people in control in government, you know, and like you said, regardless of your affiliations or, or allegiances politically, how, how, do we, how can we disagree that all history is important in elevating these stories, Right. Right. But I think it's important to keep in mind that it's not a new idea. I mean, starting in the 1960s and 1970s, this idea emerged of social history. It used to be that history was the study of great men. Yes. Right. And as I said, the legislators and the generals and the military men and the 
constitutionalists. But starting in the 1960s, this idea of history, not from the top down, but from the bottom up emerged. And that's when the first feminist historians in the universities started looking at women's speech. The thing is, though, those women, those academics, mostly have written for each other. They haven't really popularized the idea. And I come from the world of journalism, and so I'm a popularizer. I don't go too deep. I go, I stay, I'm pretty shallow but wide. And, and But this idea that women have been speaking has been known and studied in the academy. It just hasn't really seeped into our popular uh our popular culture. But that's what I want. I want us to have a world in which women's voices are as respected, in which comedians, as we talked about, quote the Paula Poundstones, as well as all the male comedians, the Jerry Seinfelds. So it's my goal to, to, to live long enough and be part of a movement that sees that change taking place. We have, uh, and I, was, I swear Roosevelt, uh, or Dave, Dave, I was going to get to this. Uh, one t- uh, listener is uh, just sent a text asking, what about Eleanor Roosevelt? So we'll end on Eleanor Roosevelt. Share a little bit about her, her, her speech in your anthology. Eleanor Roosevelt was a remarkable woman and just a fantastic speaker. And, of course, she didn't speak with the great stentorian phrasing, you know, that we associate with a leader. She spoke more with a kind of heartfelt directness. And people who heard her speak always felt like she was touching them. She had a tremendous amount of warmth and humanity. And the speech that we have in, that I have in this collection is from 1940, which she delivered in Chicago to the, a, to a group related to the ACLU. It was basically a, a civil liberty speech. And she talks about race prejudice and about how important it is for us to reach out to all different people and to stand up for the little person, for the working man, for people whose rights were being abridged. And she, she really Gave, she really gave a beautiful speech about the importance of our basic freedoms. Now then, not long after that, America went to war. And of course, when, a, when you're at war, a country, that one of the first things they do is start to abridge civil liberties. And you can't go around and say anything you want. You can't publish anything you want, or it'll be accused of potentially subversion and treason. But, but, but you sh- we should, all your listeners should go back and look at that beautiful speech that she gave to the Chicago Civil Liberties uh, group in 1940. I appreciate this conversation so much. Again, we've been talking to Donna Rubin, who has uh, created an incredible body of work, Speaking While Female, 75 Extraordinary Speeches by American Women. Uh, Donna, I'd like to invite you back anytime you want to have this conversation again, uh, if you want anything else you want to promote. Uh, and again, let folks know if they want to, uh, to do work on their speech writing, uh, how they can uh, contact you. Well, you can always go to my speech bank, speakingwhilefemale.co. One day I will get the .com URL extension, but right now it's .co. <laughs> I know. Speakingwhilefemale.co. I, I, I know the struggle. <laughs> I know the struggle. Somebody else has it, but she's going to give it to me one day. Yeah. But for now, it's speakingwhilefemale.co. You will be blown away by all the incredible speeches there, literally thousands of speeches, and you can't. Uh, miss me. I'm there too. You can find me, reach out to me. If you have ideas for other speeches that should be in the collection, I want to talk about it because this is my favorite topic. This is my passion. Oh, I appreciate it. We can, we can hear that in your voice and I look forward to more conversations with you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Have a great evening. Let's take a break here and we will wrap up when we come back on Driving at Home with me, Patty Vasquez. 
Hey, looking for a winning team on a winning station? You found it right here on WCBT 820 AM. Join the marvelous one, Dan Marver, the palacious one, Paul Shivari, Sports on the Couches, Mike Mercado, and yours truly, Devin Tingle, every Sunday at 9 p.m. for the Sports Cubicle, where the inmates run the asylum, and the boss, well... They yell at us on Monday morning because we're working overtime. Looking for your late night dose of sports talk radio? We're here. Join us on the Sports Cubicle Sunday nights at 9 p.m. WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk where facts matter. Just want to wrap up and uh, say again that uh, our hearts go out to uh, our friends and family in the Chicago, Fire, the Chicago Police Department. Chicago police officer has been shot and killed on the southwest side, and um, we that we don't have many more details than that. This was shortly after 5 p.m. in the 5200 block of South Spalding Avenue, and uh, the, if, if officer sustained gunshot wounds, um, that she did not survive. Um, Keep them in your in your hearts and in your prayers. Um, have a good evening, and we will see you tomorrow, everybody.